Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. You're tuning in for our series, Passion, the week that changed the world. In this series, we are following in the footsteps of our Savior as we take a closer look at the last seven days of Jesus' life leading up to Easter. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. A lot can happen in a week. On Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed as a hero by cheering crowds waving palm branches. On Monday, Jesus turns over the tables of money changers in the temple, calling out their corrupt practices. On Wednesday, religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. On Thursday, Jesus celebrates a quiet dinner with friends. Later that night, he is betrayed and arrested in Gethsemane. He is beaten, brought to trial, and sentenced to death. On Friday, Jesus is crucified on the cross, suffering for sins he didn't commit. On Saturday, heaven held its breath. On Sunday, God turns the grave into a garden. Passion, the week that changed the world. What's up, everybody? Hey, welcome to Liquid. Can we give a big welcome to everyone at Church Online? Hey, all our live locations joining us today. I'm Pastor Tim. So glad you're here because we are in the season of Lent. This is the 40 days leading up to Easter, and we are starting a brand new small group series today called Passion, the Week That Changed the World, which is all about Holy Week. That's the final week of Jesus's life. The Holy Week is really considered the most sacred seven days in Christianity. And um, let's begin by acknowledging this. Not all weeks are created equal, are they? Right? Like there's just some weeks in your life, you can probably count them, that just kind of stand out from other weeks. Because the events that happen just, just change everything. You know, a couple Sundays ago, I was talking to a man at one of our campuses who told me he woke up on a Monday morning. He said, I just felt super tired. Like I I couldn't get myself out of bed. And he said, I I thought maybe I was sick. His wife thought, you know, he must have a cold. He said, but then I started looking pale. And so his wife called the doctor. He went in to see his PCP. His blood pressure is like way out of whack. So then on Tuesday, they go to his cardiologist, took an echocardiogram and comes back and says, three of your arteries are almost 100% blocked cancel your plans. You need to have surgery today. And my friend was shocked and was like, can we, can we schedule for next week? And the doctor said, if you don't go directly to the hospital right now, it's likely you will not be here tomorrow. So suddenly, like what, what's supposed to be just like a, a normal week, right? Normal meetings, meeting someone for lunch, appointments, chores. Hey, we're going to take the car, get the oil change. No, 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 no. This week, suddenly everything changes like that. It's not just the dramatic stuff. Maybe for you, it's the, the week with the second or third job interview. Because if this opportunity opens up, this could be a game changer for you. Like you're called back for the second interview on Tuesday, then the third interview on Wednesday, and suddenly, this is not an ordinary week. This is the week that could change everything. <laughs> and, and looking at it at some of you, there, there was a week... I remember, or you remember, when, when you came home from the hospital <laughs> with, with a little baby in your arms, and it was your first child, right, Zach? Right? A whole, whole lot of things changed on that day. In fact, your whole world got turned upside down. Do you remember, parents, when you used to sleep? Remember that? 
it just, it's okay. You got a newborn in 18 years, you're going to sleep just fine. It's amazing. That first child, that little boy, that little girl, well, that week changed everything, didn't it? See, not all weeks are created equal. Some stand out and because of events that you didn't expect or you couldn't imagine, the whole world flipped upside down. And this was true for Jesus as well. Now, the series we're doing in the weeks leading up to Easter is focused on Holy Week. And this is the final week of Jesus's life. It takes place in Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. Some of you are going to visit us with uh, our tour in May. But take a look. Sunday through Friday, Jesus will enter that city of Jerusalem on a Sunday, and he will be executed on a Friday. It is the week that literally changed the world. And so for the next five weeks, we are going to, as a church, we're going to start following in the footsteps of our Savior. We're going to journey with Jesus all through Holy Week, all the events. We're going to experience his passion. Now, some people hear passion and they think, oh, you mean like just, you know, love, romantic love? No. Passion, the Bible, it means suffering born out of love for you and me. And so our small groups, we're going to begin going through the gospel of Mark. So um, if you're unfamiliar um, with how the Bible is organized, there's, there's four different biographies of Jesus in the Bible. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four record the historical events of this final week in Jesus's life. Now today, we're going to look at the gospel of Mark, okay? And if you started at chapter one of Mark and you read the first 10 chapters, you'd be out of breath, okay? I love Mark because Mark is like an Enneagram three, man. He's like action-oriented, this is the, the most action-packed gospel or biography, and it's paced like a whirlwind. Like literally, if you start reading it, you're being like, oh my gosh, Jesus goes and heals somebody. Then he jumps in a boat and he goes across a lake. Then he feeds a bunch of people. He casts out a demon, hops back in the boat, goes across a lake, does another miracle, picks a fight with the Pharisees, goes back across the lake. It's like, woo! It's like one thing after another, and you get the sense you're driving through Jesus' life at 90 miles per hour. That's chapters 1 through 10. But then suddenly you get to chapter 11 and everything slows down. It's like you're driving in the fast lane on the parkway, anybody? And you take an off ramp at an exit and you hit the brakes. Suddenly you're going 15 miles an hour on a single lane country road and the pace just slows down in this last week of Jesus's life. In fact, in Mark's gospel, let me show you the way it looks. Bible nerds, you'll appreciate this. The first 10 chapters of Mark cover three years of Jesus' life and ministry. But the final six chapters are devoted to eight days. So understand this last week of Jesus' life is totally disproportionate to the amount of ink that it receives. Three years in 10 chapters, eight days in the last six. It's like everything slows down, and I think you and I are supposed to slow down with it. I think in this season of Lent, we're supposed to actually absorb it and let it actually be in shaping us and slow down and walk with Jesus in this final week of his life. Now, understand something. The disciples, they walked into Jerusalem with Jesus, and in some sense, I think today God's going to be inviting you and me to walk together as well. Walk along with Jesus for the next five weeks. Walk along with a, a small group, with brothers and sisters, with friends. And we're going to go day by day, event by event, through his passion, the week that changed the world. So today, I just want to set this series up by kind of looking at what happened on the first day of the final week. That is Sunday. Everyone say Sunday. Sunday. This is when Jesus made what's known as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
Next week, we're going to see Jesus stir up some trouble in the temple. <laughs> he was a troublemaker. The week after that, we'll see him have a quiet dinner with friends in an upper room. We'll witness his brutal betrayal in a garden. Ever been betrayed by a friend? We'll see him carry a cross all the way to a place called Golgotha. And then we will arrive at an empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Sound good? You want to go with me? All right, let's do it. Let's walk together. Let's join Jesus on Sunday. This is a special Sunday that has come to be known in the church calendar as Palm Sunday. Now, to help get you in the mood, we're going to actually pass out some palm fronds today. Ushers, at all of our campuses, would you come on down and pass out some palms to everybody? Just take one palm, pass it down your row. Go ahead, shake it when you got it. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake it. Yeah, I love it. Okay, awesome. All right, wave your palm in the air all around like you just don't care. Say happy Palm Sunday, all right? Say happy Palm Sunday, everybody. We're going to get you prepared for this. Now, we're going to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and start at verse 32. And I want you to read this with me. Here's what it says. Mark says, they were on their way up to what city? Everybody, Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Some are astonished, others are afraid of what's going to happen. And again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Now, this is very important. Jesus didn't uh, accidentally fall into some trouble. In fact, as the son of God, he's omniscient. He knew exactly what was about to happen to him during this week. Three times, in fact. He told his disciples, he says, we're going to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die, which is ironic because that word, that name, Jerusalem, Salem is where we get shalom. It translates to the city of peace. But Jerusalem was anything but peaceful for Jesus. In fact, this was the third time that Jesus predicted his death to the disciples. Verse 33 says this, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. But mark this, three days later, he will, everyone, he will rise. And you think this is pretty clear prediction by Jesus but the disciples just didn't understand what he was saying. And, and who could blame him? You know, with every miracle Jesus performed, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Every sick person he healed. Jesus is actually becoming a celebrity. He is popular with people. Many believed he was the, the Messiah, the promised king or savior that Israel had been waiting for. And so they assumed, the disciples were like, hey, we're rolling up to Jerusalem, man, for a coronation, bro. We're going to roll into the capital city. We're going to take this thing over. Jesus, you're going public, okay? We're going to go viral. We got the people behind us. And the religious leaders are afraid, and they should be. Because Jesus, man, he is, he is at the height. He's blowing up in power and popularity. So yeah, they're like, let's go to Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, hey, wait, wait, wait. Just, just, just slow down, guys. We're going there to suffer and die. Wait, what? Yeah, they're going to arrest me, who's in, <laughs> condemn me, anybody, torture me, wanna go? And then they're gonna murder me. But peace, I tell you, three days later, I will rise. 
And they just kind of looked at him blankly and they're like, um, Andrew, you know what he's talking about? Like, do you, do you have any idea? No, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's like a parable or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, you know, Thompson, that makes no sense. Jesus, <laughs> we don't correct you. But bro, you're going to be crowned king. Don't be a downer, man. This is going to be a high point of our ministry. I've told you, there's a reason they were called the disciples, right? <laughs> they just, they didn't get it. Even though Jesus predicted his death and resurrection three times, they didn't understand. But it was part of his plan from the very beginning that God the Father would send his only son to our world to love, lay down his life, and heal our broken lives. But first, it meant Jesus would be rejected, condemned, and killed on a cross in our place to pay for our sins. So let me just kind of take you there and set the scene for you. I want you to imagine it's, it's Sunday morning. It's Palm Sunday in Jerusalem and Passover is about to start. Everybody's there for Passover. It's like a, a week-long religious festival for the Jewish people from all over the world. They were celebrating um, Israel's most important story, the Exodus, how God miraculously delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So understand what happens at Passover, man. It's like a monster truck jam, okay? All the Jews from all over the Roman world would pour into Jerusalem, celebrate their exodus from, from Egypt. The city is packed. In fact, it's swelled to more than 200,000 pilgrims pouring into the city. So this is like the Super Bowl, guys. In Mark 11, verse 1 says this, As Jesus and the 12 approached Jerusalem and came to the, can you say it with me, the Mount of Olives. Now let me pause here because I want to actually take you virtually to the Mount of Olives. This May, we have about 150 of us from Liquid. We're taking 150 pilgrims to tour the Holy Land. And we're going to actually go to these places in person. Both those tours are, are sold out, but I just want to let you know, don't worry, we will go back again. But today I was like, I want, I want to show everybody what Jesus saw. As he and the disciples climbed to the top of the Mount of Olives, this is what they would have seen. The Mount of Olives is a mountain ridge to the east, right outside the city. And it gives this panoramic view of Jerusalem, the capital city of David. It's the heart of Israel. You probably know it with the glittering gold dome of the rock. That's the site of the original Jewish temple. But today it has a mosque on the top. And so it's a holy site for Muslims and Jews. You can see the ruins of David's tower, Jerusalem. But everything in the city is built of beautiful golden limestone. So when the sun sets, it's like the city gets this, this golden glow and people are drawn to the, the western wall, the wailing wall of the temple in the old city. And when night comes on Jerusalem, it's buzzing with pilgrims from all over the world. Mark says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a what? A, a colt, a young donkey tied there which nobody's ever ridden it. I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And this is kind of a weird request because Jesus is like, hey, I, I want to roll into the city. I want to do something kind of spectacular. Go get a young donkey. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Again, all through the gospels, Jesus walked everywhere he went. You'll see on our tour, it's, it's very small. It's a walking country. There is no record of Jesus ever catching an Uber. He did not ride a Vespa, okay, between here and Galilee. In fact, Jesus walked 90 miles from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, and now he asked for a donkey? That's a half-ass idea. <laughs> hey, I'll be here all night. He's a half mile from the temple. 
So this is a very calculated request. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to show you and the others what kind of king he is. See, 500 years before Christ was born, the prophet Zechariah gave a prediction, a promise to the Jews in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9.9 predicted this. He said, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous, victorious, yet he is, everyone, humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And understand something, everybody in the city would have known this prophecy. Since age eight, Jewish boys memorized these exact words, predicting that the Jewish Messiah, the savior, the king, would one day ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they said, this is gonna liberate us from Rome, who occupies, they take advantage of us. So Jesus is intentionally sending a signal. He said, I am the long-awaited king you've been waiting your whole life for. He's finally going public. He's declaring that he's the Messiah, the Savior. But notice something. Zechariah says, look, your king's coming to you. He's righteous, victorious, but he's humble, riding on a donkey. So what kind of king is Jesus? Well, the donkey gives you a clue. He is royalty and humility rolled up in one. See, in the first century, this is not how kings rolled into a city. If you were a victorious king who had just conquered a foreign nation, you rolled in actually riding on top of a white stallion, a white war horse, and you pulled golden chariots. You flexed your military muscle. You want to show off, right? I mean, you guys know this. You don't have to be ancient to understand this. Think about the royal wedding of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. Now, I know, pause, I know everybody has a lot of opinions about Harry and Meghan these days. Let's just have a spirit of unity right now. Turn to your neighbor and say what you think. No, don't do that. <laughs> but put this up there. We all watched Meghan and Harry ride into London in a royal carriage. Look at that. Pulled by a team of white horses, Her Majesty's soldiers proudly parading, clop, 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 through London to adoring crowds. You know why? Man, that's how a would-be king enters a city. You, 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 you flaunt it. If you got it, you show off your power. You show off your wealth. You show off your prestige. Not Jesus. He says, my kingdom is about none of the above. Wealth? Nope. Military power? Nope. Prestige? Nope. It's about humility and peace and humble service. And so he rides a humble donkey to tell the people, I am the servant king, here to serve you. Mark says in his biography, remember Mark's there. He says, when they brought the cult to Jesus and they, they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And then he says this, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And these guys would have been the palm fronds you're holding in your hand. Go ahead and shake it. Why palm branches? Again, fascinating history. In the ancient world, this is how people welcomed home a victorious king or a war hero. As the king rode into the city, they would literally, the peasants would strip the palm branches and be like, here he comes, everybody. We're going to roll out the red, what? Carpet, you get it? That's literally what they're doing. They're like, here comes the king, it's Jesus. They're laying down their cloaks. They're like putting down palm branches. Here he comes, woo! I want you to imagine it in your mind's eye. He's riding this donkey down the Mount of Olives and Mark says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone say Hosanna. Hosanna, you know what it means? Save us, king. (laughs) Rescue us. The Jewish people are welcoming Jesus as their savior, as their king. And this is his royal procession. Blessed, they say, is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know what they're saying? Long live the king. Long live the king. Can you picture this? Guys, when we visit Jerusalem in May, we're going to visit the Mount of Olives. And I'm actually going to take you on the exact road that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Every year on Palm Sunday, Christians from around the world, they walk down this road, they wave palms, and they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Can you do that with me? Wave your your branch. Shout with me, Hosanna. Say, Hosanna in the highest. Long live the king. Finally, someone's going to deliver us from Rome. This is a victory parade. This is a royal celebration. This is, this is a party, man. And so wait, Jesus, why are you crying? Stop and imagine your disciple. People are shouting for joy. They're celebrating as King Jesus rides in and you chug up to Jesus. You're like, Lord, isn't this awesome? Look at what, what gives? Jesus is sobbing. Hot tears are falling down his face. And you're just confused. Like, Jesus, why are you crying at your coronation? Luke describes it this way in his biography. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he what? He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You can circle that word, weeping. Because the word for weeping is not, in the scriptures, the gentle tears of a baby. It actually means uncontrolled sobbing of sorrow. He's, Jesus is weeping. And you're confused. Like, everybody else is celebrating. Why is the king crying? Because he knew that the whole world can change in a week. He knew in just five days, this same crowd who's now shouting, Hosanna, would shout, crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! People are fickle, aren't they? Jesus not only knew the future, Jesus knew the hearts of men. That this moment, the crowd, the moment those crowds realized that he wasn't bringing the political revolution, the military victory that they they craved. He knew they'd reject him. They they would reject his message of, here's what we're going to do to our enemies. We're going to love them. What? (laughs) Yeah, people who persecute you, I want you to pray for them. Who's with me? Whoa, bro, 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 bro. That's not what I signed up for. Take me off the mailing list. They're going to reject his command. They're going to reject his ethos, his kingdom. See, Jesus was not a conquering king who fit political expectations. He wasn't left, right, red, or blue. He is this this prince of peace who models a very different way, the way of self-sacrifice. Sacrifice? What? 
the people wanted the way of the sword, man. Like most of us do. We want, we want a strong ruler who's going to kick our enemies down and who's going to liberate us from the rotten Romans. But Jesus knew Jerusalem's future too. They wanted to make Jerusalem great again. That's not a political thing. That's what they wanted. But Jesus knew Jerusalem's future. He knew that 35 years from this exact moment, Rome would send 60,000 soldiers to storm the city. And they would slaughter 1 million Jews. The streets would flow red with blood. And they would tear down the temple brick by brick, stone by stone. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. In Jerusalem, I, I, I'm going to show you, and I want to show all of you right now, the street that Jesus rode in on, where you can now see the ruins of the Jewish temple. Hey guys, I'm here in Jerusalem. I want to show you the road that Jesus walked into the city. Take a look right here. This is the road we know Jesus came in on when he came into Jerusalem going to the temple. This is the temple. This is the western wall of the temple. And what's incredible is you can still see the ruins from when the Romans destroyed it. Take a look. They just excavated these. These are the rocks. They're literally in the same place from when the Romans sacked Jerusalem, poured it over the wall, into rubble, into ruins, and saying, don't ever mess with Rome. But remember what Jesus said? Tear down this temple, and in three days, I will rebuild it. I'll rise again. Of course, he wasn't speaking about the literal temple, but he is the ultimate temple. And you and I are now the temple of God filled with the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Jerusalem. Do you understand why Jesus was weeping? He could see two temples about to be destroyed. In 35 years, a Jewish temple would be ripped down by the Romans. But in five days, the span of a, a single week, he said, my temple, Jesus' body, he said, it's going to be torn in two as well. So Jesus weeps for two reasons. He sees Jerusalem's destruction and he sees his coming crucifixion. So understand, we get excited about Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday was a day of celebration for most but it was a day of bittersweet sorrow for Jesus. He felt the grief as it began a week that changed his world and would change our world. And it would end with not a coronation, but a king dying on a cross for sins he didn't commit. The question is, how, how do we go from this into this? in a span of seven days. A lot can change in a week. <laughs> How do you go from a coronation to a crucifixion in six days? See, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, we'll see this next week, not everybody was thrilled. In fact, the Pharisees were threatened by him because Jesus condemned their hypocrisy. That's why people loved him. He called out the religious leaders for taking advantage of the people, for not living what they said, for cozying up to Rome. And you know what he said to them? He said, hmm, you know how I should describe you? You snakes, <laughs> you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. And the Pharisees were offended. They got jealous and the crowds started ignoring them. And now they're following Jesus. And watch this, by Tuesday, again, a lot can change. By Tuesday, Mark says this, the chief priests and the teachers of the law started scheming to arrest Jesus secretly 
and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. They don't want to risk a riot at Passover. Otherwise, Rome might kind of crack down, take away their power. Pause. Aren't you shocked? Toxic politics were part of the ancient world too. They're actually insanely jealous of Jesus's power and growing popularity. And so they come up with a plan to silence him, to falsely accuse Jesus, secretly arrest him. And as we will see on Thursday, they will pay the disciple named Judas 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus over, arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane with swords and clubs and torches. You can see it in this ancient mosaic. The disciples will scatter. Even Peter will abandon Jesus in his moment of need. And then on Friday in the wee hours of the morning, Jesus the King will be condemned as a criminal. He'll be taken to a trumped up trial that took place on Friday morning at the home of the high priest. He'll be passed along like a hot potato to Pilate. That's who's in this incredible painting, the Roman governor. Pilate is amazing. He's a, he, he would get elected today, man. He is a politician's politician. He knows how to speak out of this side of his mouth, wash his hands over here, cave and compromise to the crowds. And so Pilate sends Jesus back to King Herod. He sends him back to Pilate. It's a hot potato. No one knows what to do with Jesus because they know the charges are made up and that he's innocent. His only crime, speaking the truth of God to people and making the Pharisees jealous. And so the city packed with pilgrims, they don't want to start a riot. And so Pilate caves to political pressure and condemns Jesus to death. Watch this. Church and state together deliver the sentence, death by crucifixion. You understand what happens in a week? Jesus's journey to Jerusalem begins with a parade on Palm Sunday and ends with his crucifixion on a good Friday. From this to this, like I said, a lot can happen in a week, but I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the journey that you and me and, and, and 5,000 of us, we're all gonna go on together in our small groups over these next five weeks. We're gonna go day by day and follow in Jesus' footsteps from his coronation to a cross. And we're gonna arrive, praise God, at an empty tomb on Easter. Sound good? Now listen, lean in. I wanna encourage you. Don't make this journey alone. Don't travel alone. We're going on a road trip. Jesus brought his friends to Jerusalem with him and you need some too. So good news, today is Group Sunday. So if you're new to our church, you've come like at the perfect time. Small groups are the way we make a big church feel small. Our small groups actually meet during the week. Some of them meet in person, some over Zoom. And what do we do? We eat together. We open the Bible together. We dig into scripture and we fellowship and we pray together. And I have great news for you today. We have over 70 small groups opening today in every age and stage of life. Can we hear it for our small group leaders at every campus? Praise God for you, man. We're so thankful for our incredible men and women. We have them in every age and stage of life. So we've got groups for women, groups for just men, groups for young adults, groups for young professionals, married couples. We, got, we even have groups for our Spanish-speaking friends. Dios te bendiga. Amen. Some of our groups in person, some online, and some, by the way, are a mix of both because we get it. Like some of you have kids and you're like, I can't leave the house. My kid's got a stomach bug for the ninth time, you know, this winter. <laughs> Don't worry. We have later evening groups 
with other parents online. There really is something for every age and stage. So understand, this is an invitation to you to walk along with Jesus and some of his followers for the next five weeks and grow deeper in your faith during this season of Lent. Just to give you a taste, by the way, I just want to show this to you. This is so cool. This is a photo of a men's small group that meets in Morris County. They call themselves the Wegmans Wolf Pack. Because <laughs> they meet, they meet at, at Wegmans and they take over a section of the dining room. And you can kind of see it spans millennials to boomers. And they got 15 to 20 guys. And they're actually splitting into two groups for this passion series. And you can kind of see what they do. They, they eat together. They do a Bible study, share their, their celebrations, share their concerns, and just pray together as one. This group is incredible. So proud of Rex and his team. They've started a softball team. They do a men's breakfast. They support each other heart to heart. But that's what a small group does, man. I was talking to him the other day and he said, you know what, Tim? We have gone through everything as a group. We have dealt with divorce, health issues, financial crisis, addictions, as well as a lot of victories for guys following Jesus. Guys, that's God's design for Christian community. This is how you draw closer to Christ and enter into his passion Passion means suffering born out of love. He did this for you, for me, for us, so that we could not only be forgiven of our sins, but we're restored to this new relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then we get to share this resurrection life of, of faith and hope and love as his followers in the modern world. So let me encourage you as, as your lead pastor, join a small group today at your campus. Don't walk out of here unchanged, be a Lone Ranger Christian, get in community. In fact, in a moment, your campus leader is going to dismiss you to a group's expo in the lobby at your campus. You'll be actually able to meet your group leaders, find one in your age and stage of life, and sign up for this series. And if you're online, by the way, you can browse all of this at liquidgroups.com. You can see videos of group leaders, locations at times, plenty of groups that meet virtually if you don't live in New Jersey or want to meet online. So get involved, guys. Step out of isolation into community, and let's spend the next five weeks drawing close to Christ together. Sound good? All right. Hey, oh, before I pray, I almost forgot. Fun news. Deep breath devotionals are coming back starting tomorrow. Yeah, we're excited for this. Hey, I want to just thank you for your feedback, man. I heard you guys. We love getting your feedback. Um, I just heard from so many who said, man, Tim, I love getting just a short video devotional, text it to my phone first thing in the morning. So, so many people, we had about 4,000 people just spent the first five minutes of their day with a dose of scripture, we open God's word. I'll lead you through a guided prayer experience and just give you some motivation to stay connected to Christ. I actually heard from parents who, who did the deep breath uh, prayers with their kids. Others who forward them to family and friends. You know, someone's going to the doctor. I sent this to them. It was really powerful. So I just want to let you know, brand new season of deep breath is back. Five weeks of devotional starts tomorrow, all the way through Easter. If you're new, you can subscribe. All you have to do is literally text the word breath to 85737. And I'll send you a short video devotional straight to your phone, Monday through Friday for the next five weeks. If you have, by the way, received these devotions, you don't have to sign up again. It's just, if you're new, we put a little card in your program, text BREATH to 85737 and join the rest of us. Well, guys, you see, we've got a lot ahead of us in this Lent season. Join a small group, join us for daily devotionals. All of this will help you draw closer to Jesus during this passion season. So let's do this. Let's stand at all of our campuses. Would you stand where you are? Stand at our campuses. I want you to stretch out your hands. In fact, don't open your palms like this, but you put your palms, it's Palm Sunday, put your palms out like this. We're gonna pray for our small group leaders and then we're gonna send you out. Father, we thank you so much um, just for your word. And it's, it's, we are humble pilgrims. We are saying yes, we're raising our hands saying yes, we're gonna walk along with Jesus, even to Jerusalem to see you 
wash the feet of your servants and die on a cross to show us your love. And so I pray now, Father, I pray for divine connections as we go out to the Groups Expo. I pray that there'll be men and women who feel alone and isolated that would step into community and their lives would be changed because of it. And I pray, Father, a blessing on every man, every woman who is leading a small group this semester. Father, I ask your blessing and your anointing on them, Father. Put your hand of protection over them, their family, their marriage, their work. Would you multiply their time? And Father, let us fall more deeply in love with your son because of the time we've spent and invested together. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. And now I'm gonna turn it over to your local campus leader to give you instructions for our group's expo. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.